Well, take your Bible and turn with me tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. We're in this long section on uh, Christian liberty, and uh, we are going to wrap that up tonight. So we're going to be looking at verses uh, 23 of chapter 10 down to verse 1 of chapter 11. So after you've found uh, 1 Corinthians 10, when you stand with me, let's read it together. Verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake but if anyone says to you this is meat sacrificed to idols do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake i mean not your own conscience but the other man's for why is my freedom judged by another another's conscience If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you again for your precious word. We thank you for the truth that guides our lives and um, how you have given us uh, principles that are so practical and relevant to our daily Christian living. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to wisely apply these principles to our lives, that we can be the kind of believers you want us to be, that uh, we can be a church that just reflects uh, your uh, truth and uh, your wisdom. So, Lord, we pray that you would be with us tonight as we go through this passage, that we would be able to rightly understand it, and that we would then have your wisdom to know how to apply it. So, Lord, tonight, again, we, we thank you for this opportunity Uh, to worship. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Christian fellowship. We thank you for the joy of salvation. And so, Lord, we rejoice in all these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, take your Bibles once again and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. This passage concludes Paul's discussion on limiting our liberty. And here he comes down to the bottom line of this whole issue. We've been looking at this for a number of weeks. It's been a couple weeks now since we've been in 1 Corinthians. But Paul's central message of this entire section, chapters 8, 9, and 10, is really summarized in chapter 10, verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is one of the greatest statements in all the Word of God. This is a basic principle for governing 
the life of every believer. Do everything that you do for God's glory. In fact, if you and I truly did everything for the glory of God, it would take care of most of our problems in the church and in the Christian life. Whatever else is said on this subject of Christian freedom, this one principle really supersedes everything. Glorifying God is the overriding principle and purpose for our lives. That is why we are redeemed. We are redeemed to bring him glory. Now, just a reminder, the word glory points to something that is worthy of praise or exaltation. And I think we would all acknowledge that God is absolutely worthy of our praise. Amen? He alone is worthy. But the question for us is, do we exalt him in all we do and say? Do we exalt him? Do we bring glory to God in everything we do? Do we live our lives to glorify him? Everything we do in life either glorifies God or it's an embarrassment to him. It dishonors his name. Now, I want us to think for a few minutes about the idea of glorifying God. Obviously, we cannot give God glory in the sense of adding anything to the glory he already possesses any more than we might add to God strength because he is all-powerful or knowledge because he is is, uh, omniscient. So we can't really add anything to God that he does not already possess. But there are ways that we can glorify God. There are ways we can bring him glory in this world. And the Bible really gives us a list of things. Uh, We could spend time on all of these. But some of the ways in which the Bible says we can glorify God is by confessing our sin. Joshua 7.19. By trusting in God. Romans 4.20. By bearing fruit for him John 15:8 by thanking him Psalm 50 verse 23 by suffering for Christ's sake 1 Peter 4:14 4, to 16 by being content with what we have Philippians 4:10 through 20 by praying through prayer John 14:13 and by proclaiming his word 2 Thessalonians Now, I realize you didn't probably get all those references down. But the Bible indicates there are ways we as Christians can glorify God. We can bring him glory. But beyond this list, here, Paul tells us that anything we do in life should be done in such a way that brings God glory. Even such mundane things as eating And drinking are to glorify God. And remember that Paul is dealing here with the specific problem that was relevant in the Corinthian church. And that is the problem of eating meat that had been 
offered to idols. It had been sacrificed to idols. And he's talked about the restaurant problem. And he's talked about the meat market problem. And he's mentioned the party problem. But in this particular passage, he's dealing with the latter of those three. He's talking about the party problem. He's dealing with what happens when you get invited to your neighbor's house or you get invited to a social event and this issue comes up. How do you deal with it? What do you do when you get invited over to a lost person's home for dinner and they put some meat in front of you? You don't know whether or not this meat has been sacrificed to an idol, so do you eat it or not? That's the question. That's the specific issue that he's dealing with here. And even though that's not usually a problem that you and I face today, this passage gives us some important principles for deciding what to do when we don't have clear biblical commands. How you and I act in what we call the gray areas indicates whether we are really serious about glorifying God in all things. Let's look at three truths in this passage. First of all, let's examine some principles for Christian liberty. Some principles for Christian liberty. In verses 23 through 30, there are four principles given to guide us as we think about using our Christian liberty in such a way that glorifies God. The first principle is the principle of edification over gratification. Edification over gratification. Verse 23 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Now, Paul has already made it clear that this is referring to those things that are not clearly forbidden in Scripture. This is something in one of those gray areas we've been talking about. Uh, It's something that I might say, I'm not sure if I should do this or not. It's, of course, if something is forbidden in Scripture, then that is not lawful for a Christian to do. It's not something we should do. But he's talking about things that are lawful. They're not forbidden in Scripture. They're not condemned specifically in Scripture. They're what we might call gray areas. Well, what do we do in regard to these things? And notice the word profitable there. The King James uses the word expedient. And we know the word expedition, and expedition is a journey. Uh, It helps you get where you're going, right? Uh, Something that is expedient is something that helps you on your spiritual journey and moves you down the road toward where God wants you to be. It helps you to make progress in your spiritual journey. And it's important that we don't do anything that hinders that. You know, you wouldn't try to run a 440 dash with ski boots on. Now, you can do that. There's nothing in the rules probably that says you can't do that, but it wouldn't be expedient. 
it wouldn't be profitable. I mean, it wouldn't help you run the race, right? In the same way, there are some things that are lawful, they are permissible, according to Scripture, but they are not beneficial to winning the Christian race. Now, that word is used in a parallel fashion to the word edify. The word edify there literally means to build a house. And so Paul is equating the idea of something being profitable with that which builds up believers in the faith. So he's saying that whatever contributes to your spiritual growth or that of a fellow Christian is to be considered profitable. And conversely, whatever does not contribute to spiritual growth should be considered unprofitable. Only things that are able to edify are to be seen as profitable. So when we're faced with a decision about a certain practice, we should first ask ourselves, number one, is this forbidden in Scripture? Because if it is, obviously we should not do it. But if there's nothing in the Bible that indicates it's not lawful or we shouldn't, shouldn't do it, then a second question we need to ask ourselves is, will this help build up a fellow believer? Will this help me spiritually? Is this spiritually profitable? Does this help me and my fellow believers down the road spiritually? Now, of course, if the answer is yes, then we can do it for the glory of God. But if the answer is no, we should not do it. You say, well, but it gives me pleasure. You know, it will bring me gratification. Oh, no, edification before gratification. Do you see the phrase there, all things are lawful? You know, I can imagine the Corinthian believers probably use this phrase often. They probably had, on many occasions, said something like, well, there's nothing in the Bible that says I shouldn't do this. But Paul is saying to them, that is not the only consideration for a child of God. There are other questions we have to ask. Is it profitable? Does it edify? Is it going to help me and my fellow believers spiritual progress? We have to ask that question. So edification over gratification. doesn't matter if it brings you gratification. That's not the most important issue. But there's a second principle, and that is the principle of others over self. Others over self. Now, this is a tough one for us. But look at verse 24. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. The principle of others over self. We cannot be like Cain in the Old Testament who said, am I my brother's keeper? We are our brother's keeper. We have a responsibility not to harm or injure their spiritual progress, their spiritual growth. And even if something will build us up, we should not do it if it will also, unless it will also be good for the sake of others. We must think of others first. 
We should always be thinking more highly of others than we are ourselves. And so we need to ask the question, if I do this certain thing, will it help my brother or will it hinder him? Will it build up my brother or sister in the faith? And I'm sure you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, but I have to go to Philippians chapter 2 for just a moment. So turn with me to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is the principle, others over self. Now, that's difficult, and in the flesh, we're not going to do that. We're going to be selfish, and we're going to put ourselves first. But as we mature in the Lord, we're going to see this happening more and more. We're going to be thinking of others before we think of ourselves. And that's an important principle. But there's a third principle here, and that is the principle of liberty over legalism. Liberty over legalism. Look at verses back in uh, 1 Corinthians 10. Look at verses 25 through 27. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience, conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Now, here's the problem. You live in Corinth, and you get invited to go to the home of a lost friend for dinner. The salad is served, and then out comes this big New York strip steak. And you are really hungry, and that is the best-looking steak you have seen in a long time. What do you do? Do you ask Where'd you get this meat? Did you buy this meat at the pagan meat market next to the temple? Has this meat been sacrificed to idols? Do you ask that? No. You just eat it. You just eat it. You don't ask any questions. You get your knife and fork and some steak sauce and go after it, right? And by the way, Today, the issue might not be, did you buy this meat at the pagan temple? The issue today might be, did you cook this in wine or something like that? But here's the principle. As much as is possible, we should keep from offending the weak consciences of fellow believers. But we should not go to the legalistic extreme of making great issues of everything we do. So we're not to go to the extreme of legalism. Listen, if you tried to live your life on the basis of how everyone, uh, what everyone else thought, how do you think that would go for you? Would that be uh, an enjoyable life, living your life, just trying to please everybody else? 
Do you think you would achieve true spirituality? And would you end up pleasing God by doing that? No. No. That's legalism. It doesn't produce spirituality. So Paul is saying here, don't become legalistic and lose your liberty and live your life on the basis of what other people expect. Instead, live according to what God expects. And the quote in verse 26 is from Psalm 24.1. It is a reminder of God's sovereign ownership of all things. But here is the way that Paul is applying this truth. Christians have no business participating in an openly idolatrous ceremony because to do so would, to be, would be to be sharers in demons, as Paul said in verse 20 that we saw last time. But after the idol meat is sent to the market to be sold, then it should be considered like any other meat. We should not give up our freedom just because of where we think the meat comes from. In other words, we are to forfeit our freedom only when we know that it clearly may offend a weaker brother. But not for the sake of legalistically following a man-made rule. And as Paul said in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back under that slavery of legalism. We should not give up our liberty. We are free in Christ. We should not give up our liberty in Christ unless it is clearly for the sake of a weaker brother for the sake of building up someone else in the faith as one author wrote if we refrain from doing certain questionable things we do not do so from a sense of legalistic compulsion but from the voluntary restriction of our own liberty in order to help build someone else up and by the way some christian might say oh well You shouldn't be eating with unbelievers anyway. That's not what the Bible says. It says if you want to go to dinner, go ahead. If you get invited and you choose to go, then go. Enjoy the meal. Now, who are we not to eat with? Well, the Bible says that uh, we're not to eat with those who profess to be Christians but have been disciplined by the church and have refused to repent. But other than that, go ahead and spend some time with those who do not know Christ in order to be a witness to lead them to faith in Christ. So if you get invited to an unbeliever's house and you want to go and they have good steaks, then go enjoy yourself and seek to be a witness for Christ. Oh, there's another by the way here. Notice something about verse 27. It says, eat anything. It doesn't say, eat everything, you pig. That's a joke, okay? Don't send that email. Just, just take note of that. In your you want, might want to underline that, any, the word anything, okay? But the point of verse 27 is, 
don't make a big issue of where the meat that someone serves you may have come from. If someone serves you a steak dinner and he doesn't tell you where it came from, just eat it. Don't ask questions. Don't make a big deal of it. But on the other hand, there's a fourth principle, which, which is the principle of condescension over condemnation. Condescension over condemnation. Look at verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. Now, here's a different situation. If they bring it up where this meat came from and they clearly say this was meat that was sacrificed to idols, then don't eat it. And Paul says we should do that for conscience sake. And then in verse 29, he clarifies what he means by that. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. Or why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? We are to modify our actions for the sake of others, but we're not to modify our own consciences. In other words, the legalism of some weaker brother should not make us legalistic, but it can lead us to become gracious and think of the other person first. Now, verse 30 adds, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? If this is something that I can give thanks to God for, then I should not have to defile my conscience by doing it. So here's the situation. You're sitting at a table. You're really hungry. And out comes this steak. And it looks really, really good. But just before you take a bite, a fellow Christian from your church who has also been invited to the dinner leans over to you and he says, You know, this meat was purchased at the pagan temple. And I'm certain this meat has been sacrificed to idols. What do you do? You say, I think I'll have some more salad. And can I have a lot of extra dressing on that? You say, but wait a minute now. That might offend your pagan host. Here's another principle that is found in these verses. It is better to offend a lost person than to offend a weaker brother in Christ. It's better to offend a lost person than to offend a weaker brother in the Lord. Why is that? Because the primary way that we are to win the lost is by showing love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when the lost see how much we love each other, even though they might be initially offended, It will have a greater impact in the long run. And if we have to make a choice over offending a lost person or offending a weaker brother, the Bible says that we should should choose not to offend our brother in Christ. That takes precedent. 
So he gives us these guiding principles for glorifying God, and then he gives us the purpose for Christian liberty, the purpose of Christian liberty. Verse 31 says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the bottom line for everything we do. This is the chief end of man. This is why we were created in the first place. This is why we have been recreated by the new birth, spiritual regeneration. We are to live to bring glory to God. Now, the word glory there is the word doxa. It's where the word doxology comes from. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In every vocation, in every act, in every aspect of our lives, we are to praise God. We are to bring him glory. And notice verse 32 says, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Now, that's pretty much everybody, isn't it? That's, that's a pretty all-inclusive list. No action of ours should prevent an unbeliever, whether he is a Jew or a Gentile, from coming to know Christ. And Acts 15 deals with that subject. Turn with me for a moment to Acts chapter 15. Remember, Acts 15 is the account of the Jerusalem Council. And this council was called to determine what should be done about Gentiles who were also coming to faith in Christ, having also received the Holy Spirit. But let's look at, let's begin at verse 19. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do no trouble to those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is uh, read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church, to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter with them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Notice what they are. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled 
and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from these things, you will do well. Farewell. The reason they gave these prohibitions is because they did not want to do anything that would be offensive to either Jews or Gentiles that might keep them from being open to the message of the gospel. And so Paul says, these are things you should abstain from. Why? Because you don't want to present an uh, unnecessary offense either to the Jews or to the Gentiles. Secondly, as Paul has said all along, we should not do anything that would cause a weaker brother to stumble. And uh, we have this dealt with in 1 Peter chapter 2. So turn with me to 1 Peter 2 for a moment. And look with me at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to, notice the word, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Now, we saw this when we went through First Peter, but the fact that some people are offended by the gospel is not something that we're responsible for. That's their problem. But we should not needlessly offend someone by our way of living or by our behavior. We should never unnecessarily offend someone. People sometimes are going to get upset about the gospel. Uh, That's not our responsibility. We're to proclaim the gospel, and then their response is not anything we're responsible for. But we want to make sure our behavior, our lifestyle, does not unnecessarily offend unbelievers. Because when that happens, rather than glorifying God, we're bringing dishonor to him. So a good question to ask in regard to any action is, if I were to do this certain thing, would it make it easier or harder to witness to this unbeliever who saw me do it? Would it make it easier? Would it make it harder? 
And if the answer is it would make it harder, then I should not do it. I should not do it. Then finally, in verse 33, and in the first part of verse verse of chapter 11, Paul gives us the pattern of Christian liberty. And we'll stop with this tonight. Look with me at verse 33. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they might be saved. And then in verse 1 of chapter 11, he says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Because Paul lived in such a way as to please all men in all things, not seeking his own profit, but the profit of the many, that they might be saved, he could safely tell the Corinthians to follow his example. And the reason why Paul was so confident and successful in his own Christian living and in the responsible use of his Christian liberty was because he was following Christ as his example. He was imitating Christ. So Paul could say, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. And Christ, of course, is the supreme example of what Paul is describing in these three chapters. And just to reiterate so you won't misunderstand, when Paul says in verse 33 that he pleases all men in all things... That does not mean he lives a worldly lifestyle to attract those in the world. That's not what he's saying. And we've dealt with that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people use that fallacious argument. And they may say something like, well, I go and hang out at the bar so I can win people at the bar. No, that's not what Paul's saying. That's not the principle. He's talking about adjusting his own life in ways that are not sinful, but are sacrificial to him in order to keep from offending them. He's not saying that we need to act in a worldly manner to try to win the world. That's not the principle. Well, in everything we do, We're to glorify God. But there's one thing that keeps us from doing that. There's one thing that hinders us from following this great principle of God's word. Selfishness. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. And that's why we have to die to self. We have to learn these principles to live by. So let me ask you tonight. What have you given up this week for the sake of some other believer? Have you yielded your own rights recently in some way for the benefit of someone else? How will you do that this week? Will we take these principles and apply them to our lives? This glorifies God when we do that. And that is our ultimate goal. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be people that has a heart desire to glorify you, to live our lives in such a way that 
we think of others first, that we adjust our own lives to keep from offending others, especially those who might be weaker in the faith. Help us to learn with maturity to limit our own liberty for the sake of others. And yet, Lord, we don't want to become legalistic. We don't want to fall into that trap of legalism. But, Lord, help us to have wisdom so that we don't. And, Lord, help us to be your people this week and to consider these truths and to practice these principles in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.